that this Wednesday is our annual Passover Seder worship experience in the fellowship hall where we're going to reenact portions of the Passover meal that the Jewish people would participate in. Um, and so Elder Bob is going to lead us through that. and He's going to give explanation to many of the things that we're going to experience and how those items, the songs, were types or pointed towards Jesus Christ, uh, who is the fulfillment of the law. So Wednesday, bring your family, bring your children. No child care will be provided that night, but we don't mind uh, your child sitting on your lap, making noise. We're a family. That's fine. Um, it even takes us back to the first Passover when the Jews ate the Passover in haste as a family. So we're going to go back so that we may go forward together. So that's Wednesday night, 6.30, Fellowship Hall. Don't miss that. If you've never been to a Passover Seder, if you're not familiar with um, much of the Jewish expression that is found within our faith, that would be a great night for you to come and learn and be encouraged uh, about what the Lord has done and is doing. And then on Friday night, here in the sanctuary at 6.30, uh, will be our Good Friday worship service. And last year, um, that was probably one of the most impactful services I've ever taken a part of in my life in any church. Um, as we had uh, members from our church, lay members, no pastors or elders, who came and shared and uh, expounded on each of the seven last statements of Jesus Christ. And interspersed through the night, we had worship. And, uh, and, and I think the thing that was probably the most profound is that after each speaker would speak, and we're going to do the same thing this year, they blew out a candle. We had seven candles for each statement. And on the last statement, um, the whole room went dark, sim symbolizing how the earth went dark when Jesus had died. And, uh, and we walk out of the sanctuary in silence, um, trying our best with the help of God to grasp what may have occurred on that cross on Golgotha, Calvary, 2,000 years ago. And so please uh, join us. Don't miss that on Friday night, 6.30, Wednesday night, 6.30. Uh, this is Passion Week. This is Holy Week for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. So alter your schedule, adjust your schedule, and come meet us here at the house of God. So today is Palm Sunday, and today commemorates the Sunday that Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, to the shouts of the people uh, exclaiming that he was the king of the Jews. So I'm going to do my best to, to preach on that to some degree today, but I want to give it a different perspective. I want to focus on something a little different, uh, but we're still in Psalm 118. So turn to Psalm 118. This morning in our Old Testament class, uh, I asked our students, where in Psalm 118 do we see images or words, prophecies concerning the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem on what is known as Palm Sunday? And if we were to come down to verse 25 of Psalm 118, we would see what Moses wrote many, many years before Jesus came. 
And the Bible reads in verse 25 of Psalm 118. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Let me stop and pause. Save now means Hosea, Hosanna. Save us now. Save us now. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes. Save us, help us, deliver us, be our king, protect us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, so today I'm going to do something a little bit different. So because of that, I better pray. So Lord, as we have just been enjoying the gospel, the gospel of your son Jesus, through the mouths of babes and infants. We thank you, Lord, that you've declared praise to this generation through their lips, through their dance, through their poetry, through their songs. Lord, we are aware that right now in this nation, you are using young people um, to stand up and speak truth to power. And even though they cannot vote, that does not mean they do not have a voice. And we thank you for what you've been doing and how you've been using them to teach us about what matters most in this nation. Thank you, God, that even in this church, from our children's ministry to our student ministry to Awana on Wednesday, Lord, thank you for the attention that is given to our children and thank you for how they show us your kingdom. And now, Lord, if I can just follow behind them. And do my best to teach your word in a way that I pray would emblazon your truth in the souls and in the minds of your people through artistry. So thank you, Lord, that you're in the arts. Thank you, Lord, that even through the prophets you can speak not only through their lips, but you can speak through their lives by how they would be walking billboards to demonstrate your message for the people. So may what is seen today, along with what is said today, change at least one life, starting with mine. But Lord, I do know that there are more people who are going to be blessed today than just me. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Today, uh, I want to preach a brief message entitled, Hyssop Plants and palm branches, hyssop plants, and palm branches. Thank you, Deacon. I'm going to do my best to connect the dots for you today with how these two specimens Speak to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm not a botanist. Uh, I'm definitely not a Baptist, but I do my best to stay in the word. And this represents a hyssop plant. Now, this is actually not a hyssop plant. It is a tree branch. <laughs> but it's hard to find hyssop plants in America, uh, especially during Holy Week, but I grabbed this because it's the color of a hyssop plant. 
hyssop plants were bushy plants that had purple um, color to it. And so I'll talk about this in a moment. Um, and this in my hand, my right hand, is a palm branch. Now we're going to take many of you back to church growing up when you received a palm branch on Palm Sunday. We're going to distribute palm branches at the end of this message. Because at the end of this message, which I'll do in just a 20 minutes, we're going to sing a final worship song to God. And it's my prayer that all of us will be able to stand up on our feet and wave these palm branches before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But first, I got to connect the dots between the hyssop plant and the palm branch. So let's begin in Exodus chapter 12. We've been talking how Exodus chapter 12 is the background for Psalm 118. That Exodus records for us the first Passover meal, the first Passover celebration of the Jews after they had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And God decided to raise up Moses, his mouthpiece, his prophet, to go and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. We know that he did not let them go easily. He had to be forced, if you will, by the hand of God through various plagues that God visited the Egyptians with, but none of those plagues came near the children of Israel until ultimately the final plague, which was the death angel, which would visit the firstborn of cattle and humans in the land, killing them. And the Jews were instructed in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22, that while they were in their homes, they were to take hyssop and they were to dip it in the blood of the slain lamb for each house. And they were to take that blood that was now on the hyssop that served almost as a paintbrush. They were to dip it in the blood and then smear it on the doorposts of the home so that when the date angel of death saw the blood, the angel passed over because of the blood. So the hyssop plant came to be known as a plant of purification. Purification. Because the blood spoke of the fact that the people of God had now been purified, cleansed from their sin, cleansed from death. And so the hyssop plant would go on within the economy of the Jewish people to be used symbolically when it came time for cleansing and purification. Because of what happened at that first Passover, the Jewish people in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Numbers were instructed by God to take that same plant and dip it in the blood of a heifer, a red heifer, or to dip it into the blood of a lamb and to use it and sprinkle it on people who had skin diseases like leprosy. And so when someone would be healed by God of leprosy, they would come before the priest, the priest would examine the person, and then the priest would take the hyssop and dip it in the proper uh, mixture and then sprinkle the people, signifying that they were purified and that they were cleansed. And so the hyssop 
speaks of purification and cleansing. But a little bit later in Exodus chapter 15, once the Israelites got out of Egypt by the blood that had been applied by the hyssop, they came to a place where they were thirsty and they had no water. And the Bible says when they finally found a place after three days, the water was bitter and they called the place Marah. And they began to complain and Moses cried out to God and God showed him a tree. And God told Moses to put the tree into the bitter water and the bitter water became sweet. That tree is a picture of the cross. How when the cross of Jesus enters into a bitter life, a bitter life can become sweet. They drank from the water. The Bible says God tested them there. And then they went a little bit further and they came to a place called Elam. And Elam was a place that had 70 palm trees. And the Bible says the Jews camped there. So the palm tree came to represent celebration. It came to represent salvation because God had provided for his people the refreshment that they needed through the clean water. There were 70 palm trees. So the palm tree came to be known as something positive, something encouraging for the nation of Israel. So much so that it became throughout uh, the annals of antiquity one of their symbols to speak of the nation of Israel, that God was the one who supplies all of their needs. He gives them water even in dry places. So the hyssop gave way to the palm branch. But not only that, we, we go back to the hyssop because after a king named David had made an awful error, he sinned against God, he sinned against the nation, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah. You know the story. He sinned. He committed adultery and then he committed murder. He sat on that sin for over a year, but when Nathan came to him and said, you are the man, you have sinned, he repented on the spot. And he wrote Psalm 51 after that episode. And in that episode, in that psalm, rather, he says in verse 7 of Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. The king went back to the Passover and what the hyssop branch was associated with and that's cleansing and purification. And David said, Lord, I need to be clean because I've been so dirty. Lord, would you cleanse me from my sin? Purge me with hyssop. Now the power wasn't in the hyssop. The power was in what the hyssop was dipped in. The power was in the blood and the blood was applied to David's sin. And in the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats and rams. But we know that when Jesus came, he came to take away the sins of the world as the Lamb of God. So we no longer need to slay an animal to have our sins forgiven. No, we confess our sins based on the shed blood of Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins... 
whether it's physical adultery or mental adultery, emotional adultery, or if it's coveting or if it's gossiping, whatever it may be, we all fall short. But when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. That's the good news. David said, purge me with his soot. Well, when we come to the New Testament, we come back to the palm branch because we're reminded in John chapter 12 that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah prophesied in chapter 9 that the king of the Jews would come riding into Jerusalem humbly and on the foal of a donkey, on, the, on a colt. Jesus rode humbly in because as the son of God, he was also the son of man, and he wanted to identify with the people that he came to save. So he was the people's king. He, he was touchable. He was available. He was present. He was right there in front of them. And the people understanding this moment that this great wonder worker just may be the Messiah, they all gathered around. And they celebrated, and they began to praise him so much that the haters tried to tell him to be quiet. And the people said, or Jesus said, you know, if they will be quiet, the, the rocks are going to cry out. It was a moment where the people saw that Jesus is the Messiah and the King of the Jews. So they took their coats off. And they laid them in the road, which spoke of the fact that we submit to your authority. And as Jesus, who rode in on a donkey, humbly, he didn't come in on a white horse. And that's why a lot of people missed him. They were waiting for Messiah to deliver them militaristically from the Romans. They were waiting for Messiah to crush their pagan enemies. But Jesus came not to deliver the people nationally. He came first and foremost to deliver the people in the world spiritually. He had to come first as a lamb, but I do want to let you know he's coming back again as a lion, riding on a horse, according to Revelation 19, a white horse, but that day is in the distance. He had to come first as a lamb before he came as a lion. And as he came as a lamb, the people were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. Save us now. Deliver us. Help us. Set us free. You are the king. And they got caught up in the worship service, not fully knowing who they were worshiping, not fully knowing the parameters of what that moment meant. But they waved the branches because the branch symbolizes victory. The branch symbolizes salvation, deliverance. The branch is about celebration. It was a party. It was a festive moment. Blessed is he who comes. The Messiah is here. And they're waving and they're putting their clothes on the ground. And like the true king that he was and is, rather than going up to some palace to take a seat, he went to his father's house and cleansed it because that was the priority of the day. 
There'll be a time to reign. He will reign from Jerusalem. He will sit on David's throne when he comes again. But first, he had to come humbly. They celebrated him. But when that week went on and Friday came, the lamb had to be slain. And when they put Jesus on the cross, remember, no one took his life. He laid it down. He allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to die. He died willingly. He's on the cross, and as we'll hear this coming Friday, he said at least seven things that the Bible records. But one thing the Bible records that many people look right over in John chapter 19, verse 29. While he's on the cross, and right before he gives up his spirit, they put a sponge filled with sour wine on a hyssop plant. And they stretch it up towards him as he's on the cross. Of all the plants, why a hyssop plant? So that he could taste the wine to help deaden his pain. But the Bible lets us know it earlier when they tried to offer him some wine to deaden the pain. He wouldn't drink it. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to swallow death completely. No, no, I'm not going to have any aid to deaden the pain as I carry your sins in my body on the cross. So they offer it up to him to drink. And as I look at the symbolism that the Lamb of God is dying on the cross to save us from our sins, to purify us, to make us right with God, the hyssop plant. So on the cross, purification met its complete fulfillment in the Son of God. So that you don't have to go to a priest and ask a priest to forgive you of your sins. You don't have to give somebody some money to a church for them to forgive. It's already been paid in full. Never to be paid again because he's not dying again. So it's done. It's finished. The hyssop plant, he purified us on the cross. But it doesn't end there. Because if I were to fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, the Bible talks about that there are people in heaven who've been martyred, who've been beheaded because of the gospel. They would not renounce Christ, and so they were killed. And the Bible says that these people in heaven are standing before the throne waving palm branches. So there's the palm branch again, because in heaven, that's the ultimate victory. No matter how you got there, you got there, and you are waving the palm branch before the king of kings, because this branch symbolizes victory. We're to celebrate because there's been salvation. So we're waving it even in heaven. And this symbol of the palm branch was used by the early Christians where to identify the tomb of a martyr, 
they would put this inscription of a palm branch on the tomb so that people would know that that was a martyr for the gospel. And this palm branch doesn't mean defeat. It means victory. So although you may have beheaded this believer, thrown this believer to the lions, dipped this believer in oil, and used the believer as a human torch, that believer is still victorious because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the palm branch. This is what the king secured for us. But without the hyssop plant, there would be no palm branch. The hyssop plant, the purification, makes the celebration worth it because the celebration is proof that there's been salvation by the king. So with God, he doesn't waste words and he doesn't waste images. The hyssop plant, the palm tree. Now, there's a commercial that I love, and uh, it's the Cheetos commercial. <laughs> and the father is upset because somebody ate up all his Cheetos. And nobody wants to confess to who ate the Cheetos. Two children, a mother. Nobody's confessing. So the father says, I've got this special iridescent light that I'm going to shine on y'all that's going to reveal who's been eating my Cheetos. So when he turned the lights off and had the iridescent light come on, it showed who the culprit or culprits were. And if you've seen the commercial, it was the wife and the two children. And then he looked over the corner and the cat had also eaten some Cheetos too. They were guilty as charged because the light showed the residue of the sin that had been committed. But I serve a God, though, who came to purify me from my sin. And rather than showing within my body and in my soul the residue of sin which brings death and judgment and condemnation. Rather, I've been robed with the righteousness of Christ. Matter of fact, I'm covered in the blood. So rather than being covered in my sin, I'm covered in the blood. And when God shines his iridescent light from heaven on me, he doesn't see Cheeto residue of guilt. He sees the blood-spattered righteousness of Jesus applied to my account. So when God sees me... I'm covered in the blood. I'm covered in the blood. I'm covered in the blood. And because of the blood that came from the hyssop, it brings the victory through the palm. And I can say, thank you, Jesus. But some would say, you know what? There were some people out there that day, Pastor, they didn't have palm branches. Just because you may not have a palm branch don't mean you can't say thank you to the king. You may not have a palm branch, but guess what you got? You got a palm. And you can wave that palm at the king and say, thank you, king. <laughs> thank you, king. Thank you, king, for setting me free, king. Thank you, king. <laughs> and the crazy thing about this palm is that not only is it a sign of celebration, we won because he won. And when people do something good in the world of sports, they raise their hands up. But this hand can also say, I need some help. If you're in a burning building and you're waving your hand, I need some help. 
If you're on a desert island stranded, you wave that hand at airplane. I need some help. If you're in class and you're struggling with the assignment, you raise your hand because you're saying to the teacher, I need some help. So as we celebrate today, we celebrate that he is the king and nobody is going to unseat him. As we sing, he has no rival, he has no equal. We don't make him Lord, but we acknowledge that he is the Lord. We bow the knees of our heart, and we've admitted that Jesus and confessed that he is the Lord. We have the victory, but we still have pain. So sometimes the palm branch may say, I need some help. Save me, Lord. I need some help with this problem, with this issue. Help me, God. So as the worship team comes back and as the band comes back, we're going to close by celebrating our king. But there may be someone here today, you may say, I don't know him like that. <laughs> the children proclaim the gospel today. Jesus loves you. He died for you, your sins. To set you free. You don't have to carry that guilt. You don't have to carry the power even of besetting sins. He came to set you free. But you have to acknowledge his kingship and say, Jesus, I humbly bow before you. Take over my life and be my Lord. If you've never done that, today is the day for you to do that. Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior. And for the majority of us in this room, as you stand to your feet, our ushers are going to hand you some palm branches. All right? And I want you to go back in your mind that if you were on that road, knowing what you know now, if you could be transported back and you saw the humble, lowly, yet all-powerful King Jesus ride into Jerusalem, my God. But we don't have to go back 2,000 years. We can celebrate him right now because he has ridden into our lives and made us new people. So we're going to give him the praise that he's due. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is our Messiah. He is our deliverer. Let's worship him.